0: Meditations on Mark is a production of the University Church in Oxford. For more information, visit universitychurch.ox.ac.uk. Welcome to this sixth and final meditation on Mark, as we consider Mark's mysterious ending.
1: Meditations on Mark, the sixth podcast, What's in an Ending? Mark, chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid.
0: One of my predecessors as Vicar of the University Church in the mid-19th century was a man called John William Burgeon. Everyone remembers John Henry Newman. Burgeon is a rather more obscure character. He was a great controversialist and was once described as an old-fashioned high churchman who was famous for his support of a long series of lost causes. He'd become a passionate critic of the Revised Version, the translation which had been produced largely on the back of the critical work of the three Cambridge New Testament critics, Westcott, Lightfoot and Hort. Bergen claimed, against Westcott and company, that the last twelve verses of Mark were part of the original Gospel, as in the authorised version. We've just heard the first eight verses of chapter 16, and textual critics like Westcott noticed That many of the authoritative manuscripts end with the phrase Ephobunta Ga, which means for they were afraid. The last 12 verses are absent from the great 4th century codices, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Early commentators like Clement of Alexandria and Origen show no knowledge of verses 9 to 20. Eusebius attests. That these verses were absent from almost all the Greek copies of Mark known to him. Nevertheless, later manuscripts bear witness to a longer ending of twelve verses, a shorter ending, and then an even longer ending in a number of manuscripts which seek to combine the longer ending and the shorter ending, while occasionally offering further variants as well. Confused? Well, you'd be in good company. In spite of the fact that the authorised version includes the last twelve verses of Mark from verses 9 to 20 in chapter 16, it's intriguing to note that the compilers of the lectionary enter perhaps unwittingly into this debate by themselves selecting Mark 16 verses 1 to 8 as the gospel reading for Easter Day. The last twelve verses are conveniently forgotten, and the passage ends with the words, They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Did Mark intend to finish his gospel with these words, or did he intend to include at least one account of a resurrection appearance of Jesus? Do we speculate with Austin Farrer that just as St. Mark reached the words, for they were afraid, a heavy hand descended on his shoulder, and a heavy official voice pronounced the fateful words, Here, what's all this? "'You'd better come with me to the Praetorium.' And so the saint's literary career came to an abrupt conclusion. Or do we speculate with some textual critics that Mark's Gospel accidentally lost its last leaf before it was multiplied by transcription? Does this account for those curious blank columns in Codex Vaticanus? They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid.' The final verse in Mark's Gospel is perhaps the most puzzling in this most puzzling and mysterious of the Gospels. The final irony of the Gospel is that Jesus has commended men and women to say nothing about the truth that they have glimpsed, and frequently they have disobeyed. Now that the time has at last come to report what has happened, the women are silent. In the first episode, I noted that one of the characteristics of Mark's gospel is that it is full of allusions and references to the Old Testament. In his commentary, Joel Marcus notes that the phrase, for they were afraid, is strikingly similar to a phrase that we find in Genesis chapter 18, verse 15, where one of the two angels announces to Abraham that Sarah will bear a son. Sarah laughs in disbelief when the angel asks her why she denies it, for she was afraid. It's the same phrase. Marcus says, here, as in our passage in Mark, there is a divine promise of life springing out of deadness, a promise that human incredulity, which is linked with fear, finds impossible to accept. These words alert us to the sheer fragility of apostolic testimony. That the story of the empty tomb relies on their witness, their willingness to share the story of the resurrection. Is this something that we can trust in? Something that we can believe in? Mark's Gospel begins with the proclamation of the Gospel and the invitation to repent and believe the good news. Mark has emphasised again and again the fallibility of his followers. Their confusion and ignorance have been apparent from the beginning. The initial stages of Jesus' ministry show that demonic forces are being overthrown. Brendan Byrne suggests that the demonic is essentially about control, the control of human life by forces, frequently transpersonal and socio-economic, that stunt human growth and freedom, alienating individuals from each other and from their own true humanity. And yet through a series of parables and paradoxes, Mark prepares us for the story of the Passion. The heart of Mark's theology is a revelation of the God who reaches into the deepest recesses of human darkness to draw human beings to repentance and fullness of life. The resurrection teaches us that God has the power to recreate a relationship of trust and love, even on the far side of the most difficult human experiences, the most challenging realities. Suffering, abandonment, betrayal, injustice, even death itself. And Mark does not offer us a glimpse of the risen Lord. He sends the disciples back to Galilee, to go back to the point where the story began, in order that the way of discipleship may be woven ever more deeply into the pattern of our lives. In his commentary, Eugene Boring writes this, The story that began with a trumpet call announcement of the dawning of God's kingdom ends not with a bang, but with a whimper, trailing off in mid-sentence. After all, no one in the story who has been with Jesus is willing to carry the message and continue his mission. Is there anyone else who might, after all, be a faithful disciple? Throughout the story, there has been a non-participant observer who has been with Jesus in every scene. The narrator has permitted the reader to be with Jesus the whole time, from beginning to end. The reader heard the voice of God declaring Jesus to be his son when no one else heard. The reader was present with Jesus in the wilderness, tested by Satan, when no one else was there. When family rejected him, the reader persisted. When religious leaders, crowds, and disciples misunderstood and abandoned Jesus, the reader stood by him. When the inner circle went to sleep in Gethsemane, oblivious to Jesus' plea to watch with him one hour, the reader stayed awake and heard Jesus' anguished prayer. When the disciples fled and were absent at the cross, the reader was present. When Jesus cried out to God in abandonment, the reader was still there. Now the readers stand at the brink of the incomplete narrative, in which all have failed, and with terrible restraint, the narrator breaks off the story and leaves the readers, who may have thought the story was about somebody else, with a decision to make. Thanks for listening. The Gospel was read by Elizabeth Dutton. The meditation was offered by me, Will Lamb. Music and sound design by Nicholas Alexander.